Welcome to the Get With It podcast. I will be your host, Elizabeth. This podcast will focus on the decline of women in technology and how our grassroots organization works with the community to foster relationships and reducing the gap of women in tech. We will be talking with both men and women on how to continue to move the needle forward on those relationships. For more information, please check us out at getwitit.org. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Get Wit It podcast this morning. Well, it's 6 a.m. here. What time is it there? What time it's 11 a.m. in London. 11 a.m. in London. So we're talking to Emma Reese. Did I say that correctly? And we are um, talking to her, and she's in London, lucky lady. So here we go. Emma, welcome to the show. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, Elizabeth. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you on. So we're going to start with your history. Now, you don't have to go all the way back to birth. Maybe Um, unless that's where you decided I'm going to take over the world but from that point on where (laughs) did you kind of start your journey on this whole massive well we'll get there but where did you start how tell us your background yeah actually it's it didn't really start in tech so I've essentially gone from scissors no one starts in tech Um, yeah I started out in scissors so in a previous iteration of my life um, I left school at 16 I was a bit of a rebel Um, I wanted to do something different I wanted to have my own independence so I became a hairdresser Um, when I moved to London so I'm originally Australian um, I had a salon back in Australia Um, I sold that to come to London looking for new things to do, new stimulation. When I got to London, I realized that there was all these other hairdressers that I'd met and actually we wanted flexibility. A lot of us were mothers or wanted to study university, so I wanted to take myself back to doing part-time university and I was like, how can I actually afford to do this and still be doing evening clients and weekend clients and so it, that was actually my first sort of move into tech. So I met a, um, a developer and I talked to him about having a platform where I could bring other hairdressers on board and people could book mobile hairdressing at home, which is now called On Demand. But back in the day, it was pre-iPhone. Um, and I sort of really saw how technology could change my skill and my industry and for others. So we could create this platform that was sort of a company, sort of instead of being a one-woman band or a one-man band, um, all of a sudden we had this, um, you know, I guess not elite, but all of a sudden we had this sort of caliber that we were were part of a company and we could pick and choose our hours because we didn't have any overheads. It was just the platform. We were able to also give all the other hairdressers and makeup artists and stylists, we were able to give them more of the... Um, money that was coming through and take a very small percentage of it and it was still enough for us to have a really good commercial model it gave ultimate flexibility the customers really liked it people actually could pick and choose when they wanted to have it done and it also gave the the team an opportunity to 
pick clients that they wanted to do. So it all of a sudden gave us everyone, both the client and the provider, the hairdressers, this ultimate flexibility. Um, and that's where I fell in love with tech, realizing that something that I'd been stuck in a hair salon for years from, you know, working every weekend, working late night. So people's after hours was our sort of peak times. All of a sudden there was this flexibility that was opened up and it completely changed my perspective of the industry. But I started to fall in love with tech. I started to fall in love how the adoption of the technology was really changing what I had grown up and, and known as a hairdresser. So I that was my first. Why London? Why London? Um, well, my dad was um, British originally. My mum was Australian. So it felt like the natural place to come. It was also really easy to get a visa and passport. So it, it felt like sort of the bravest and the safest at the same time. Oh, so, okay. So your, your mom is Australian, but your dad is British. So you, have you, were you visit, like, had you been there before? No. no, not at all. So when I booked my flight, I had never left Australia. I traveled a lot within Australia, but I'd never left the country. So I set off, packed my bags and landed in London um, I remember being so overwhelmed because growing up, a lot of the movies are either American or British based and all of a sudden seeing these double decker red buses <laughs> and seeing Big Ben and I was just like in awe of everything I'd grown up as a little girl seeing on the movies. All of a sudden I was standing in the middle of Trafalgar Square like, oh my goodness, I'm here. It really felt like the world was my oyster. <clears throat> I'm fair. So hairdressing and then... God, how did you even like think of that idea for a platform? See, that's what fascinates me is people just have these like wild, like I've talked to a tattoo artist who did the, the same thing, like created a platform for a tattoo artist. And I'm just like, how do you think of these things? So how, it just came to you? That's a really good question. I actually, I don't think, I would like to say it was way more creative. Like I had this light bulb moment but I actually think it was driven out of frustration. I wanted flexibility. I wanted to, I didn't really, ha I felt like I didn't have a lot of other skills. So I was like, who's going to employ me? How can I, you know, how can I give myself flexibility from a, a, an industry that was quite inflexible before that? I was sort of in a salon. I was there from opening to close and I didn't really have the flexibility. And then I remember my friend introducing me to this developer and I was saying to him, you know, I, I'm just so frustrated. Like I, and I started picking up a couple of mobile clients and they all came from recommendations, but I was like, if we could have something where I could get access to these clients and they could book me as per my schedule, I could give them my availability. Um, I could pick and choose what services I wanted to do and what areas I wanted to work in. So it kind of, I think it was ultimately driven out of a frustration for wanting more and then meeting someone else who said, well, you can build a platform that you know, you, <laughs> everyone booked through. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a great idea. So together we um, – and obviously I had no idea. I was like, what is a platform? You know, what, what, it, what is code? And, like, I, I literally had no idea. <laughs> so is it still around today? No, it's not. It morphed into another business after that. So we ended up having um, blow dry bars, which after I'd done a trip to the US, and we ended up finding that it, although the platform was amazing, a lot of the girls that were providing the services were really spread out over the over London and Greater London area. 
Um, and we also realized that actually the problem with girls stepping outside of a salon or boys or girls stepping outside of a salon weren't getting some of the benefits of being an employee. So like training, that camaraderie, like how are you building relationships with your teammates and sharing experience. So we ended up creating, I guess, what is called now a hub and spoke model. So we had a location where you can have a blow dry within a, it was normally a concession within other businesses. So our first one was with Virgin Active. So it was a set of gyms. We'd pop up in their change rooms and the girls would come in from doing a workout and they could get their hair blow dried. And then we had a couple of fashion brands. So one of them was French Connection. Um, and we had a little concession. So it also meant we didn't have the huge overheads of having our own stores. And we had the flexibility and we had the footfall of the customers coming through. And it meant that then the staff could either pick to do some time within the salon to build their sort of get their skills up, build sort of camaraderie and build friendships with other colleagues, but then also pick and choose hours outside of. Um, so we ran both parallel. Um, so it morphed into that. The blow dry bar became really sort of popular. So it's they popular grew, here, they grew yeah. quite quickly. The blow dry bar. Yeah. Here. You said you came here to the United States? Yeah, I did. I did a holiday to um, New York, which I loved. And I remember walking past, I think it was the dry bar and going, oh my goodness, this is amazing. It's this sort of quick luxury, sort of in and out, affordable luxury, a treat uh -huh. that you can go in and come out feeling amazing. Um, and obviously one of the great things about being a hairdresser was um, you, every client that would leave you would feel sort of you know, powerful and confident. <laughs> Beautiful. And, yeah, exactly. And it really can change how you see the world and how you interact with the world every day. If you're feeling sort of on point and your hair looks amazing. and Yeah. Speaking of which, sidebar conversation. Thank God I'm getting my hair done today. It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Especially with lockdown. <laughs> By the end? Well, it looks fabulous. Well, when I know I need to get it done is when I have to put it in a ponytail. You know, like, you, you got the, so I know. So I was like, oh, man, I'm doing this. I'm going to see you today. And I was like, man, I didn't get my hair done. And so, <laughs> so, all right. So no, you went fantastic. from here. And then where did you go? You built out this platform, did all these amazing things. Yeah. Um. It actually took a little bit of a turn for the worse. So things were going really well. We were expanding. We were really trying to find additional external investment to help us grow. Um, and we had um, a couple of the places where we had concessions. Um, retail businesses were really struggling at the time in the UK. And two of the stores that we were placed within closed down within the same month. So we had five stores at this time. Um, we knew another one was on our way. So we were about to lose almost 50% of our stores. We didn't really know where we could then house. I mean, a lot of the, the staff were still comfortable with doing um, the on-demand work and the, the freelance work. But actually losing that infrastructure became really difficult. I'm like, where are we going to do central training? Where are we going to get everyone together? We all of a sudden, I took a huge reflection on the business. And although it was really successful and we had a lot of clients, to be 100% honest with you, the cost of a blow dry and then sort of, you know, covering the expenses and stuff, we used to have to have make sure that those chairs were full all the time for us to be able to break even. So, you know, it was very much a case of if 
London had a really rainy week, a lot of people would cancel their blow dries because they're like, what's the point of getting a blow dry if I'm going to go out into sort of rainy, stormy winds? And as you know, London is a city that likes to rain a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> so with all, all things, and obviously it, it came as a real surprise. We were not expecting all of a sudden to go from having five locations to having two literally taken out from underneath us really made me do a lot of self-reflection on actually where are we at? How am I going to grow this business? If we're having a concession within someone else, but yet we don't, can't really afford given the value of a blow dry to have our own sort of standalone stores. We did have one and it was very expensive. It wasn't, it was, it was one of our problem child stores. It didn't really make a lot of profit. So I thought actually to be forced back into that, we're running on such little margins. Is this really a sensible decision? So it took me about six months after being told that those stores were going to take, be taken away from us to actually decide that I think it's time for us to, to close this down. Part of our client list was um, taken on board by another company um, at the time when GDPR wasn't an issue, so they were able to purchase the client list from us. So we had a very small purchase of the company. It wasn't life-changing in any sense. Um, I licked my wounds for a little while because I, I definitely, I mean, it's easy to say this now after coming through it, like many challenging um, phases in one's life, but I really felt like I'd failed. I had big goals and big visions for this company and I felt that, you know, maybe if I'd done this differently or maybe if we'd, you know, taken that opportunity, maybe things would be different. Um, so it took about a year and a half um, I had two small children at the time. Um, my littlest uh, was two and my oldest was four at the time. And I thought, actually, maybe this is the time now because as a working mother, I, I didn't really have a lot of time to spend with the kids. Like my husband was amazing. He stepped up a lot, um, you know, even though we had the hours that we were open, there was a lot. Of, it was all encompassing, as you can imagine. It's all the behind the scenes stuff as well and being there to support the growth of the company. And I just really decided that actually it's time to call it a day. So spend the time with the children and think about the next big thing. Um, <laughs> and definitely throughout that period, I had a lot of ideas. Like they just started flowing. I think I really wanted to, um, I really wanted to do something else. And I think this is a really good point to share. Um, it's not something that I share really often, but I, I really realized when I closed Blow Bar down that, I hung a lot of my self-worth on like what I did and what I built. So when that wasn't there anymore, I was like, who am I? Like I need something else. I need something else to fill this void, to make me feel, you know, worthy and comfortable and, and happy with sort of who I was. So actually it probably took me about a year and a half to rebuild my confidence and go, do you know what? It doesn't really matter. I've learned so much about myself. I don't need to do that. I'm, I'm actually confident as a mother and it was really good to have that time out. And then obviously I guess I was destined to always try and do something else next. So it was like, <laughs> what's the next big thing? Um, and my husband and I sort of started talking about um, <clears throat> creating a marketplace for, I guess because my domain experience then was very much around on-demand blue-collar workers he was a consultant at the time. So I said, what about if we had a marketplace where someone like yourself that's at sort of the professional services level could have a similar sort of platform to Blowbar? 
So we started to explore it. Um, it took quite a while. Obviously, we were a little bit reserved about sort of working together at first because we're like, oh, my goodness, we're going to just pile everything in there, like co-parenting, husband and wife, co-founders. Is this really where we want to be? Um, really the answer like is yes. <laughs> really, really like him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think... Um, yeah, I mean, there was definitely some sort of reservations around that. But also at the same time, I'm like, if we're going to do this and we're going to throw everything into it, actually, we trust each other so much. So why wouldn't we? Why would I go and find someone else to do this with? Um, being a sole founder can be super lonely. There's a lot resting on our shoulders. To actually sort of share that burden and be able to sort of, you know, reimagine the world together was quite an exciting prospect. That's cool. So where did it go? Yeah, so we um, we weren't really sure how to kick off. He was still working, um, consulting himself. Um, we were we knew we were going to need. We knew we wanted to do something within technology. We wanted to build a platform, or we wanted to you know use technology a little bit like I'd used with um, Blue Barber Four to sort of change something. But we weren't really quite sure what. Uh, we applied for the UK government to these grants called Inno- Through Innovate UK. Um, they have a, so many applications, but essentially you can put your business idea in and if you're successful, you're awarded government funding. So we won our first Innovate UK grant. Um, we were just over the moon. By winning that, it did a couple of things. It gave us validation that the idea we were about to embark on was actually a good one because if the UK government are about to put money behind us, we're like, yes, this is a good idea. <laughs> But definitely built confidence and gave us that validation. And it also gave us a little bit of funding to be able to kick things off, get a team behind us and start exploring this idea of a marketplace for sort of professional services and have sort of an on-demand platform. So that was the original idea. I guess given my background, I felt comfortable. I knew how to do that. And his domain of being that person and being the consultant, we, we both became sort of domain experts. Does he work in IT? Does your husband work in IT? Yeah, he'd always worked in sort of IT transformation for financial services companies and he'd moved around quite a lot. So he had the experience of being a, prof- uh, a freelance professional service um, provider. So we did the research. So the first grant from Innovate UK was all about research and development. So their theory was if you, um, as a small company, they don't often spend enough money on research and design, which is why a lot of them fail. That, that, that was the premise around the grant. So the money that we were essentially gifted was to do more R&D to actually prove what we were trying to build was there was actually product. There was a, there was a need for the product and there was demand for it. So through doing the research, we actually, at the end of it, fast forward a little bit, we realised that actually what we were going to build, there wasn't really a huge demand for it. Some of these already existed in, in the market and we were kind of scratching our heads thinking, oh, this is not what we expected us to be. We expected us to kind of come out at the end of the grant and be like, yes, this is amazing. We're going to, we're going to run forward with this and do it. But it actually exposed a few sort of problems. But actually in doing that, it actually exposed a couple of other problems that we could solve. And I guess being problem solvers, I liked to sort of put my head together, we put our heads together to say, well, actually, how can we solve the problems? And ultimately what we realized was that when, if you're sending a hairdresser out to do a cut or blow dryer, the scope of the work is actually relatively simple. If you're going to send 
a team or an individual out to do a digital transformation for a large financial services company, there is a whole load more complexity there. So we realized that one of the biggest problems was when you scope work, professional services work, actually the scope needs to be really accurate. So the person delivering the service and the person buying the service are actually gonna get what they want at the end of it. So Deployed was born and we are a digital statement of work um, platform where for anyone who's non-permanent, so it could be a freelancer all the way up to a professional services consultant, can use our tool to digitize the process to create a dynamic contract. And that dynamic contract means that, I mean, let's be honest, when you're doing a project or you're a consultant on a project, it will change. There will be unforeseen risks and market forces that you will come across and you need it to be dynamic enough that it can change and it can be a living and breathing organism that sort of evolves as the work evolves. But you still have a very clear goal of what you're going for. So we yeah. have digitized the process and we're also creating a really content-rich environment. So you can benchmark your statement of work or your contract with other statements of work. So actually you can see unforeseen risks, you can benchmark the price, you can know what sort of skill sets you need to have. And yeah, we create an environment that gives you a, a really digital dynamic way to do that. Um, we don't provide people, so we're the independent arbitrator of work. So you would use our tool um, to help you agree what the definition of the work is and the work that's about to be delivered. So is it a, a, like a software you download or is it like a... Yeah, so it's, we're very much at the moment, I mean, we're sector agnostic, um, but at the moment we're very much driven by uh, sort of large to enterprise companies because that's where the, the biggest employment of, of contractors is as opposed to sort of just two people wanting to do work together. Um, so we help companies. It's a desktop um, software. They log on and they're able to use templates to write the statement of work or they're able to search libraries to give them the right sort of template for their work. And we take them through sort of a guided process of how to write the best contract. You know, what are the best terms and conditions for your contract to protect both of you? And um, that, that streamlines that process and creates a centralised hub where you can actually negotiate that together and create the best statement of work. Um, the benefit in having a really clear um, scope is that if you are um, hoping that actually, thank you, um, the oh, outcome of the project. We just got, yeah. Oh, my God, it's so sweet. <laughs> Aww. Yeah, it's really good. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so sweet. <laughs> um, one of my favorite sayings is that a problem well stated is a problem half solved. That actually if the scope of a project is really clearly defined, everyone knows what they're working towards and actually you're more likely to have a successful outcome. So that's, that's fundamentally the problem that we're solving at the moment. So we're still really early stage. We're about a year and a half in. So in terms of a tech company, that's still really, really early. Um, we've been doing lots of workshops with some great clients. Um, and then obviously, as you know already, we had a massive um, win earlier this year. 
Um, so we'd applied, as we applied for everything, after winning our first grant, we then won another Innovate UK grant. So we're like, okay, actually, we're really good at filling out these um, applications, knowing what to do. We should definitely go for more. So we um, came across the Microsoft and Mayfield Female Founders Competition because obviously, as you know, there's such a lack of um, diversity in this space. So they really wanted to put their money where their mouth is and make sure that actually, as we all know, there's less than 1% of uh, VC funding goes to women um, and mixed male and female tech companies than all, our all-male counterparts. So we applied for this competition and we were shortlisted. So we were like, even if we don't get any further, we've already won from all these amazing applications that came through. We were shortlisted with 12 other finalists. So when we knew that we were we were shortlisted, we were like, oh, my goodness, we get to go to um, Silicon Valley, we get to meet all the investors. Oh, you got um, to go to Silicon super Valley? Ex- yeah. Well, that was just before COVID hit, so we never made it in the end. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the whole event then got changed to be virtual, which was fine. And the week before the event, um, Kaylee, my other co-founder, so there's three of us, um, the two of us were pitching together and um, we just spent the whole week prepping because we were so used to doing it in person that actually then moving from in person to virtually, we were like, okay, we're really going to need to nail this. So we spent the whole week practicing, rehearsing. We had a really short window of a pitch and we have a lot to get across and a lot to tell you about. I think we had a six minute, six minute pitch. So I'm like, that's not even enough to get started. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we, I guess the rest is history. We pitched, uh, we waited. I checked my email every morning. Like, do we have any news? And then the morning that we found out, I'd got up really early, sort of obviously COVID was kind of just hitting. It was a really sort of, you know, for everyone, it was a really scary time. There was so much uncertainty. We were actually at home with our kids at the time. I thought I'm going to, before anyone gets up, I'm going to go out for a run and clear my head. And I just like to check my emails before I go out because it kind of, helps me not be anxious when I get back thinking I've got a load of stuff sort of in my inbox waiting for me. And I, I can only imagine it's like when someone looks at the lottery ticket and thinks, have I, have I won? Are they the numbers? Oh, my goodness, no way. That I read this email, must have read it like five times before I squealed, obviously, and said, Jamie, you've got to have a read this. Oh, my God, let's get Kaylee on the phone. And just that, that moment was just incredible. It's been, it's completely changed the game for us. Again, it's given us that validation, actually what we're doing, that confidence behind it and knowing that we've got backers like M12 and Mayfield behind us is just mind blowing. Congratulations. Huge win. Huge, huge win for you. Thank you. company. Very exciting. So um, you didn't get to come because of Silicon Valley because of COVID. Gosh darn COVID. Um, I know. So speaking of, how has it, has it affected you at all? Like as far as your business? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, listen, in the beginning with the uncertainty, lots of sales meetings dropped out, lots of people canceled because, uh, you know, entire companies were having to put their entire workforce remote. So there was lots of uncertainty in the beginning. Um, but I think because ultimately we're creating something that's helping the future of work. So we're digitizing something that's fundamentally until now has been analog, like printing off a contract, you Mm -hmm. know, negotiating it over the phone and emails backwards and forwards. I do believe that we are sort of 
the modern way of work. We are building something that is sustainable for the future of work. And actually because of that, once it sort of settled after the first couple of weeks, we actually found that we were having a lot of meetings pick up. We were actually finding that we're having a lot of inbound. Clearly there was press around, you know, us winning. So all of a sudden people were like, oh, okay, well, you know, that's great seeing what we do and showing that interest. But I do ultimately think because it's a sustainable business for the future of work, actually it's, it has been okay. There's been, you know, challenges of the team having to work virtually and not being in person. And I think particularly when you're sort of trying to problem solve and you want to do post-it notes on the wall, that, <laughs> that has been difficult to kind of, because you vibe off each other and that, but like everyone, I guess we've just got used to it. What, um, so how many people in your company, like what is your team? Yeah, so we've doubled in size um, since the um, female founders competition win. So we went from being four, we're now eight, and we're soon to be 10. So we're still a small company. Um, You know, we like to say that actually, particularly for the three co-founders, we wear many hats at the moment, like we're doing a bit of everything. Um, But now we've got a solid team. We've got a great engineering team. They're all working remote. Actually, we've hired people outside of London. Um, So COVID's been amazing for that because I think before that, we were in the mindset of we must hire people from London. And now we've hired people from across the country and we're looking at some people from Europe. So I can only say that that's been an that's been an amazing sort of nudge to get outside our comfort zone. So I um, have interviewed a few people over in, in your part and um, this virtual kind of like us Americans, we're so far behind because when COVID hit, everybody was like, Oh my God, you got to work from home. And um, it was like not okay to work from home all the time because there was that perception that you weren't getting any work done. And so then COVID hit and then all of these companies here in America were like, wow, actually people work better at home because they work longer hours. They don't commute to go get lunch. They go to the refrigerator, then they literally come back to their. So it's like, we're behind the, we're now just getting back forward, but over there it's the norm, right? This, the zoom calls and the, kind of international expansion is is normal for you guys, correct? Yeah, I I yeah, definitely. I I agree with you. I I still think though there's been a lot of legacy companies here that are all about the presenteeism. You must be at your desk at this time and you've got to work till this time. Oh, so old school. Um, yeah, it really is and it's just it's been great. I think it's been a nudge that we've all needed. I think it gives everyone it really gives everyone the opportunity to, um, you know, have their own accountability for what they're going to do. And again, I think it's more outcomes based as opposed to presenteeism. So actually, are these your tasks for the week? Does it really matter where you deliver them from? If you're delivering them, fantastic. That's great. As opposed to you must be in the office nine to five. So I think there's still been a few legacy some of the older companies around that, you know, COVID's definitely given them a great nudge. And I mean, I've spoken to a couple of um, other startup founders in London as well. And so it's mixed reviews. Some of them really like it. Some of them don't like it so much. Um, some of the employees themselves struggle. 
if you have a house where you have space to go and have an office, you don't have children running around, coming in, wanting a snack every five minutes, or, oh, he's pulling my hair and she's doing this, and, like, that, that interruption that our darling children love to do to us, that... It's, um, I think it has been challenging, challenge, there's been different challenges for people. So we, we don't have an extra office, so we will sit at our dining table. So actually coming back into the office has been really important for me to be able to separate work and life um, because actually sitting at the dinner table and working, like when do you stop? That's my office or that's my desk and it's there right. all the time and then sort of that, you know, have it, looking at mental health and making sure that actually that's still a that's a you know the holy grail of the family sitting down together to have a meal and you know moving mummy's laptop out the way as I'm still sending emails so I've had to been I've had to be really strict with myself to say actually for dinner time the laptop will go away and we'll sit and have food and we'll have our little family routines because it can be difficult to switch off so I think there's I think there's a lot more positives to come out of this than there are negatives um, but I do think there's different challenges for everyone. What? So how old are your kids now? So they, so Vivian, my eldest, she's nine. She's just turned nine. Um, and my little boy, Anderson, he's just turned seven. So they are just a fantastic age. Uh, it's been really interesting over COVID because they've sort of sat there and listened into calls and stuff. And uh, my daughter, Vivian, said to me the other day, so what do you do every day, mummy? And I'm like, well, I do this. She's like, no, no, like, literally what you do every day and she'd just come over and go so what are you doing now and what are you doing this so <laughs> at the end of COVID she's like I'm gonna be a CEO of a tech startup so I'm like well I've done my job my job is done <laughs> um but it's really fascinating how their minds work like to actually they think they know we go to work every day but actually what that is right. to them and trying to explain it to a nine-year-old <laughs> It's quite challenging. I have a nine-year-old, so I know what you, yes. Aww. Yes, I'm a nine-year-old boy. Do you have a boy or a girl? I have a 14-year-old um, a um, girl in high school, and that's been a challenge. Oh, <laughs> I, I can't imagine. Yes, um, she's um, a lover to death, but boy, you hit high school, man, it's all, it's a different game. And then, um, yeah, I can imagine. Is, um, is nine. And so, yes, he's, he's a handful. He's a boy. I think that's the sweet spot though, isn't it? Before they start to get too much back chatting as well. And I can imagine with going to high school, all of a sudden, you know, they learn that they can have attitude and say, I'm not going to do that. And yeah, you have to roll with the punches. But Mm -hmm. I think that they're in that sweet spot at the moment. Not too much attitude. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Um, So, okay. So what, when you're not running this, awesome company what do you like to do on your free time these are the fun, oh, that is, the fun part <laughs> yeah <laughs> um it's really funny because at the beginning of the year I was like someone asked me the question as well like what hobbies do you have and I'm like uh work does that count <laughs> and they're like no not at all I don't like to call um, it hobbies so it, because I think like yeah. hobby of this, like like I like to knit or that that's like a hobby for me. It's like, what do you like to do when you're not working? Yeah, that that's a good question. Um, besides spending time with my family, I love to run. Um, I just find that sort of putting my music on and clearing my head, and it doesn't matter how slow or how fast I'm going. It's sort of just time for me. Really clears my head. Um, 
And I've just recently picked up rollerblading again. So I'm actually cool officially I'm officially cool again in my kids' eyes. So we're doing this together as a as a group thing so we can have something to do. Um I love cooking. So both my husband and I love to cook. Um yeah, so we love to just open a recipe book, get all the ingredients for the day. Um, and then cook in the evening. So we're really lucky. We're in um, just south of, well, southeast um, of sort of central London, and there's a borough market's just near us, and it's, like, known as the foodie market. And it's just wonderful. Like, the minute you walk up to this uh, foodie, like a food market. Yeah. What did you say? So you called it a foodie. No, a foodie market. Oh, a foodie market. Oh, borough market. Yeah. What is that? So it's all food. It's like fresh ingredients. Like literally as you walk up to it, you can just smell all the beautiful smells of the food. Um, and they sell fresh produce. And it's just, it, it feels like you've walked into a little village where all the food's all laid out in little stalls. And they're all sort of independent sort of owners and growers and sellers of the produce. So on a Saturday, we'll often walk down there and you know, pick up all the ingredients and go home and cook together as a family. So we, I really like doing that. that. That gives me a lot of... My God, you are like a commercial. You could be a commercial. <laughs> you and your husband and your kids sitting there, you're all cooking together. They can yeah, be- well, the kids do more eating than cooking, but wow. you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but that's all right though, because they're kids, yeah. so. Yes, you exactly. Can and it's something nice to do together. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So other than, so ro- rollerblading, eh? That's new. That is new. And I, I bought myself specifically some elbow pads and some oh, okay. wrist guards because I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> yes, I do. I am like fully kitted out. <laughs> so is it hilly where you're at? No, it's no. so flat. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's really flat. Because when I think really of flat, like, London and over there, like rolling hills and lush and whatnot. So no, it's flat. So you don't yeah, have to worry flat. about crashing into. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Why <laughs> rollerblading? Well, um, the kids picked it up and then I had this nostalgia that when I was younger, I used to have rollerblades. So I was like, oh, this, I sort of looked at them for a couple of weeks. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get me some of those as well. (laughs) Just again, I think the freedom, something nice to do with the kids, getting a little bit of exercise in. And I guess that freedom of just being on wheels. Well, that's cool. That is cool. Okay, so what is, this is where you um, should tell us the website if anybody listening is interested in going in, exploring more of your company. It's called Deployed, right? Yeah, yeah, it is deployed.co, just .co. Um, But yeah, if anyone's really interested, if you're a contractor or an interim or a consultant and you think you could have a better statement of work or you're a company, buys a lot of professional services I would love to come and speak to you um, virtually obviously Um, but yeah just uh, about doing things differently and digitizing the whole process I am 100% available so I I meant to ask this earlier are you you must be international then right 
So some of the companies, so as we're still early stage, we're doing what we're calling sort of pilots with clients at the moment because it's a very new way of them working and sort of that implementation of technology can be, you know, quite daunting and actually quite a lot of work for a company to implement. So the companies that we've been working with in, in the UK, a lot of them are global companies. Um, because they're financial services, I can't share a lot of their names, unfortunately, just still because we're very early stage oh, and it's fine. sort of pilots. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, they're global companies. We definitely have aspirations to be a global company ourselves. And I think with having investment from the U.S., um, you know, I suspect it'll only be a couple of years before we're exploring um, different markets and setting up a base in the U.S. And then I, um, so this is only IT related. So, you haven't explored markets of like um, manufacturing or construction yet. Is that like maybe down no, the line? Not yet. Absolutely down the line. I think the tool can definitely be sector agnostic for us to be have that really good market fit. It's really important for us to focus on a particular industry. And financial services felt like the right space for us, given both Kaylee and Jamie's expertise um, and previous experience within financial services. But uh, we really sort of have this vision that um, this tool could be used for anything to help scope out work better. Um, so definitely in the future, yeah, we have big aspirations again. Yeah, I could see that it could be, because it's contract-based, it could be good for, shoot, tons Absolutely. of things because of everything is based off of a contract these days so um, or a statement of work. So yeah, yeah definitely. That's cool. So, world, here you come, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> world domination. No, no, not really. <laughs> we'll start with London first and we'll work our way up. It's okay. It's good to bet gold for world domination. I like it. It's good. I like to call it the plane. Um, you're, we're in the first class plane to taking over the world. So Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, all right. So, deployed.co. Is the, name, yeah. is the website, right? Okay. Yeah. And I'm assuming if people um, on the website go and leave their information and whatnot, somebody gets back to them? Yes, absolutely. Or you can track me down on LinkedIn. Um, and I always respond to any of my messages. Um, so, yeah, you can track me down on LinkedIn or you can get access to us on the website. Okay, perfect. And then the ultimate question. So you're – you and – one of your co-founders are is a woman. Yes. And who else? Anybody else on your team out of the eight that you have? Um, so actually, yeah. So we are two female co-founders, one male co-founder. We have a team of eight. And of that eight, only two of them are men. <gasps> That's fascinating and fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it's definitely... Awesome. Definitely front and center of our mind to make sure that we're building a diverse team from the beginning. Um, yeah, this, it's definitely a goal of ours to keep that diversity as we keep growing. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on that. I don't hear that very often. To have Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. majority of a women-run company. So, yes, that's exciting. So... Are there any groups like ours over there? Like get with it? 
No, uh, well, maybe. I've been, I mean, this is when I came across yours because we were really looking for um, groups to support us and networking and um, I think just networking for support, like, you know, new phases that we're going through or introductions to clients or introduction to investors and, you know, networks is one of the, well, so I've read um, in a lot of the reports is network, lack of networks are what let women down to actually yeah. find investment and get funding and um i haven't come across any that are as as prevalent i'm sure they are um but yeah i think what you're doing is amazing and you know we really we really do need this it's it's so beneficial to have you know a pack your pack um to come to and have a safe space to sort of share those questions and have support um it means a lot really it's yeah it can it can really really change how you approach problems and how you come up with how, trying to solve those problems is to just be able to share them with others and, and get feedback and other people's thoughts. Cause there'll always be someone else who's been through what you're going through. Right. Well, thank you. We're pretty proud. We're going to try to come your way. International. Yeah, absolutely. At some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. When COVID allows again. <laughs> yes. COVID allows man. Oh man. Oh man. So all right. Well, you're a busy lady and I'm not going to take up any more of your time. So, cause I appreciate you taking the middle of your morning, which is probably your busiest to speak with me. So thank you again for being on. You are awesome. Um, I just oh, love thank you. you. You are so cute. And so, <laughs> um, we're going to need to stay in touch because as you start to take over the world, we're going to have to have you back on. And then when I finally make it over to London, we can go, what do you do there? Do you like go out and have beers or is, I don't drink. Absolutely. Tea. We can, we can do anything. You don't drink tea. Oh, that's fine. We can hit some museums and we can see all the lovely Royal parks and go and give the queen away from Buckingham palace. So funny. I just had my daughter um, is in um, honors world studies and we just were talking about the monarch and um, I was like, you know, the queen, Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we can go and give her a little wave. Okay. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, and yeah, let's absolutely stay in touch. Yes, definitely. Thank you again for your time. And I, you know, congratulations again on all your successes. I can only imagine how further you're going to go. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. We will see you next time and feel free to drop us a line at getwitit.org.